This podcast is an unedited excerpt from an MCLE program presented at MCLE's Conference Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Please note that MCLE's products, services, and communications are offered solely as an aid to developing and maintaining professional competence. The statements in this recording may not apply to your circumstances, and no legal, tax, accounting, or other professional advice is being rendered by MCLE or its speakers. For full terms and conditions, please see the MCLE website. I'd like to uh, now sort of invite uh, all the panelists to, uh, to join me in this, this sort of uh, the final session um, for about 30 minutes here to talk about um, sort of the, the, the pandemic and, and how it's um, sort of impacted uh, sort of contract drafting and, you know, negotiation. You know, I mean, obviously the, the pandemic has had a, uh, you know, profound impact on the world um, over, gosh, what's now over a year and a half, almost two years, right? And it's, it's, it's no surprise that um, something to this scale was, was not something folks were thinking about. Um, uh, so practitioners probably weren't weren't drafting to it, um, you know, before, what was that fateful date, March like 11th or something like that in 2020, um, where the world shut down. So, um, you know, but, but clearly it's something we're dealing with and, and, and we're dealing with it for um, at least a little longer. Um, and, and even when we, you know, get to the other side of this, whatever that even means at this point, um, you know, going forward, uh, another pandemic is something that I, is, is a, you know, is a reasonably foreseeable event. Um, and um, so, so my first question to, to you all is, is, you know, sort of at, at a high level, sort of how has the, the, the pandemic sort of impacted your, your practice um, generally and, 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 you know, maybe how that has morphed sort of, you know, um, when it first, um, you know, um, you know, impacted us in, in, in March of 2020 and sort of now as we're ideally sort of on the other end of it or close to the other end of it. Anyone? I can start. start. Yeah, Eugene, I'm happy to, happy to share. Please. Um, you know, one way that it's impacted my business is in connection with um, uh, conferences. Oftentimes, we have reserved and entered into agreements with uh, big hotel venues for, for conference where we think maybe a thousand people will show up. <clears throat> and then because of you know, the pandemic, um, maybe only you know, 50 people are going to show up. So we would like to cancel and get our money back. But the, uh, the conference venue will come back and claim, hey, no, there's no force majeure here. You can still have the conference. And so there's, there's really no legal language that we could uh, hang our uh, hat on. At least that was in the agreements when we entered into them. So that's what we've been working on when we're negotiating new agreements is to try to find some sort of wiggle room where we have the right to pull out of these, uh, these events, even though it's, it's not really prohibited by law. And, and again, as I mentioned earlier, it, it helps to have our business come in and help us negotiate those because we can push on the, uh, the venues by, by threatening to pull any future business. Like if, if you don't let us get out of this, we'll never have a conference there again. Or help um, let us get out of this one, but we can apply that money towards one year down the road. So we're kind of stuck in this weird middle ground where it, the event hasn't been prohibited by law by any means. But we don't. We still we don't want to do it because people aren't coming. 
Yeah, I think on the um, on the transactional M&A investment side, I'm sure that anyone who's in that space, you know, we've been, it's been crazy busy. Um, there have been a ton of transactions, but we've had unique challenges in doing the transactions and some of it's industry specific, but just a few things we've been, um, in the beginning of the pandemic was worse than now, I think in some of these respects, but for a lot of companies that do site visits, if they have uh, manufacturing facilities, things like that, deal, um, deal timing got really dragged out because people couldn't fly or there were limitations on what they could see or the factories weren't up and running at full capacity and that's what the buyers wanted to see. Um, so things were getting dragged out because you couldn't physically do the type of diligence and the management meetings and stuff that you would normally do. I think as things dragged on, people got a little bit more comfortable with doing things virtually, uh, but there were still, in anything that was a heavy manufacturing industry, it was a little difficult to get those deals done. Also, um, anything that got affected from a revenue standpoint, any companies that were really heavily affected from a revenue standpoint, um, it was difficult to price those deals, right? So if they had if they had term sheets on the table, you had a lot of renegotiation, but we've been doing deals during the pandemic that came came in during the pandemic and pricing those deals became difficult because lenders often require uh, quality of earnings reports and quality of earnings reports became very difficult because you, you didn't know whether the dip in sales was specific to the pandemic, whether it would rebound. Um, you think about companies like some of these companies that were not gonna IPO, like looking at like a rent the runway. I mean, their revenue tanked because no one was going anywhere. They didn't need dresses, but you think that eventually that's gonna come back. So it became challenging and we saw a lot of backloading on deal terms. So we saw a lot of earnouts. Um, we saw a lot more scrutiny and a lot more time spent in the accounting and really parsing through that revenue and seeing what was gonna come back. Um, so it just, deals took longer. They, they're still getting done. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of post-closing. There was a lot of things pushed to post-closing and, and a lot of value, I think, pushed into the post-closing. Yeah, I think I think for me in a lot of um, you know I do a fair amount of commercial lease work, and you know there's obviously that that you know was impacted pretty heavily with a lot of businesses, especially in the retail restaurant type space, with you know deferring rent, and you know there's nobody had ever, ever even looked at the force majeure clauses in the commercial lease in most contracts until you know last year, and then that became sort of the hot topic for everybody. So, you know, I think new leases that I've done from the perspective of the tenant, you know, the tenants are trying to get something in there that basically says if the government doesn't allow them to, you know, operate, they don't have to pay rent or, you know, it's not a violation of a continuous operations clause or something like that in the lease. Those, those are, I think, two things that, that from the commercial lease perspective kind of changed for me. But then from a deal perspective too, it was, you know, I sort of had the same experience that Emily has had, but, you know, the thing I'd throw into that too would be the PPP loans and how those affected a lot of the deals. And you either had people who, you know, didn't have their loans forgiven or you had to go through the horrible process of getting them forgiven. And, you know, that had a real impact on timing of deals. But then I also had people who didn't, you know, bother to mention that they had PPP deals <laughs> early enough in the, in the transaction. So, you know, you find out a little bit further on and the buyer, you know, brings it up with you as you're representing a seller and says, oh, hey, what are we doing about this PPP loan? 
people don't, you know, think about it. It's just going to be forgiven anyway, so who cares? But, you know, I'd say those are kind of the two things that have really affected my practice or changed, really. That's interesting on the PPP loans because we saw the same thing and, and you saw um, on the investment side too, you saw a lot of investors say we're, we're squeamish about companies that take PPP loans because we don't want to be dragged through an audit process. We don't want to have our names flashed around. Um, and then on the M&A side, we saw the same thing depending on like this private equity buyer, for instance, or something. And uh, it, it changed, um, it, it caused sellers and companies to have to maybe repay some loans in some of our deals where they were expecting to have it forgiven, uh, which again, adjusted the purchase price, right? But the buyer was saying, I'm not taking the risk of an audit. I'm not taking a reputational risk um, that I have a company that took a loan. So it, we had some like late stage economic issues out of that. Yeah, and I, just to add to that, you know, I'm seeing a lot of the same things. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, from, from my practice, at least the, 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 the deal work um, sees, seems to have picked up quite a bit. Um, and, you know, it never really went away, I would say, you know, during the pandemic. Um, but, you know, certainly in the beginning, um, it, it sort of, you know, it sort of stopped uh, and everything was sort of put on hold. Uh, and then, you know, as, as, you know, you guys have been mentioning, you know, deals just were still going on, but they just, they were just taking a little bit longer. You know, a lot of it, to do with some of the factors you guys talked about with diligence and, and uncertainties and, and, you know, you know, earnouts, um, and, you know, drafting earnouts are always a challenge and, and, and make the deals a little bit more difficult to negotiate. Um, but, you know, really, I think the last, um, I mean, really the last, the last uh, quarter or two, it's been, you know, almost back to pre-pandemic, um, you know, uh, levels, if not even more accelerated, uh, which, which frankly, um, you know, had you told me this in, in, in March of 2020, I, it would have surprised me um, that, that uh, there'd be as much deal activity there is now as, as, as there is. Um, so we'll see, you know, and I, I know a lot of folks were, um, you know, trying to get deals done, you know, um, uh, before the end of the year for, for, um, you know, for tax reasons, potential tax reasons, given given the potential legislators that that's um, that's in the in the works, but um, it'll be interesting to see sort of you know how it bleeds if if it does or not into 2021, um, and and uh, you know where we go as the world sort of wakes up from from um, you know from all these things. Um, so i you know I, I I was wondering if there are you know specific provisions that and contracts that you guys have seen more, uh, you know, I, I know, you know, Matt, you talked about force majeure as you did Eric and, and, and uh, you know, that's, I think, um, you know, where a lot of people are focusing their attention now. Um, and I don't even know how you draft Matt in, you know, to that circumstance where it's, you know, it's not, we could still have the, the conference. It's just not as impactful, you know, you know, uh, um, given the, the, the limitations that folks have, and, and also the, um, you know, even even just folks are psychologically not, you know, wanting to do um, uh, the travel and the, the, the networking and all that stuff, you know, is that, I mean, I know in the force majeure, it doesn't have to say pandemic, right? I mean, there, there are other things you can latch on to, you know, change in, you know, government orders or, or 
um, things of that sort. But but um, you know that's a difficult one and, and one that I can see being a challenge uh, working with the hotels on those things. Yeah, I, I agree. I would like to say we've had a lot of success there, but we actually haven't. We, we've tried to finagle all kinds of language in there about how, you know, if the uh, attendance goes down due to pandemic issues that would result or that would trigger this provision and the uh, the, the venues are, are on to us. So that's, that's a tough one. I'd say one thing we've seen um, in doing conferences and things like that and some of the organizations I work with that what we've had some success in is not getting out of the contract, but having a move clause where you can move for six months or move for four months or something like that. Um, you know, they don't want you to move for a year because that delays it too much. And you've always got to have the deposit down. But we have seen more flexibility in um, not cancellation, but change policies, giving you, giving you more time to change. You know, whereas maybe in an old contract, it would have said you can only make changes, you know, three months. Now it says 30 days or something like that. Well, I think we're in sort of a weird in-between phase, right? Because people still aren't comfortable necessarily going back to these huge events at hotels, but there's no government regulation that's preventing that. So, you know, I, I could see from the hotel's perspective, especially after the past couple of years, not wanting to people out of those things because they're probably dying for money. How about uh, in the M&A context, Emily, are you, are you seeing, um, I mean, you had talked earlier about MAE qualifiers. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess there's also the definition of, of uh, you know, the MAC definition or, um, or maybe, you know, disclosures where I'm, I'm seeing a little bit more reference to, you know, pandemic and things of that sort, but I don't know if there are other provisions that, that you're seeing changes in. No, I mean, definitely the MAE definition includes the word pandemic in any agreement you get these days, whereas it didn't always before. Um, also, almost all of the financial statements or the operations reps are coming with a an MAE or with a, a pandemic-related disclosure. Um, like we the pandemic may have affected our revenues, may have affected our ability to collect, may have affected something along those lines. It's very, very broad. Um, I think those are the two biggest things we're seeing. Like I said, it's been more on the diligence side because you know, with deal flow being what it is and with people leaning on the accounting firms, um, we're also seeing deal timing stretch out because the accounting firms can't get through all of Q the Q of E's and all the audits they need to get through. Um, and because those are taking longer, given all of the the intricacies to doing those um, those Q of E's in this in this environment where they're having to make so many assumptions, um, we're also seeing assumptions made on covenants, like going forward covenants. When somebody says in a buyer, for instance, I'm going to hire 90% of your workforce, um, we've gotten pushback on that because for a lot of different reasons, but in one particular instance, the buyer said, well, the seller, you don't have a vaccine policy. As a buyer, we have a vaccine policy. We're not required. We're not going to hire people unless they agree to the vaccine policy. So we can't have an obligation to hire 90% of your people. Um, so you see that playing out in kind of really weird operational ways. If the buyer and the seller haven't been in the same kind of mindset around the pandemic. 
I'm just curious, have you seen sort of the, um, you know, a, a, like a generic uh, pandemic rep, you know, basically qualifying all reps because there's a pandemic going on? Oh, well, I've seen a generic disclosure. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I have seen it. Yeah. yeah. I've seen a generic disclosure, especially if you have one of those disclosure, if you have one of those reps at the end that says um, kind of a modified 10B5 rep, right? About we've, tell, we've told you everything. We haven't om materially omitted anything. Um, occasionally there'll be a generic rep that we fight if we're on the buy side or on the investor side, we fight that pretty hard and say, well, tell us exactly what happened or exactly what you're trying to qualify. Um, because it doesn't make sense to qualify everything, right? You, you shouldn't qualify your compliance with material contracts rep by that, for instance. Um, so tell us specifically what's wrong. Uh, no, yeah, no, I agree. Um, uh, I, I think I've tried it once and it, it didn't go over so well. So <laughs> I didn't try it again. Um, uh, you know, any any um, any specific drafting tips, I guess, from, from folks. And I think burnouts are are you know are, are a good way to sort of bridge the gap between um, you know value um, uh, you know differences given sort of the, the uncertainty in the world. Um, but I, you know, I don't know if there's there's um, other things that that folks have thought about. Um, uh, given well, yeah, I mean, I'd say with the earnouts, I think the important thing, no matter what, is that you're very specific and you're very clear with the earnouts, especially the metrics, because you know those things are just inviting disputes if there's any sort of ambiguity in them. I think making sure that those are really tight is really important, especially you know now. <laughs> Um, but but I think in general that that's an area if you have an earnout in the deal that you really need to spend a lot of time with the drafting and making sure that everything makes sense and making sure that you talk to the client about whether or not you know the earnout actually works for them. Yeah, I think it's always true in an earnout. Like you said, it's always true that you're going to have disputes about did you operate the business the way you're supposed to to get somebody. Um, on the buy side, we've done a lot more buy side this year. Um, so on the buy side buyers always hate those covenants, right? They never want to commit to do, to run the business a certain way. Right now, um, the last year, they have almost been wholeheartedly rejecting those because it's one, there, there's a few different arguments. One, they don't know what's going to happen. So how can they be bound to do certain things? Two, no one has been operating naturally or normally for the last 18 months. So what are you saying is an ordinary course operation? How do you define that? You can't say it's pre-pandemic because maybe we're not there yet in certain jurisdictions. Maybe you are there in certain jurisdictions. You can't say it's the last 15 months because that's not how you would be operating to meet the metrics normally. Um, so at least on my side, we've been seeing buyers just say, it's too hard. Um, we'll give you something like, we will run the business. We won't shut it down but we have to have full discretion as to how we're going to run the business. Yeah, no, I, I, I um, you know, I agree with that. I, I, you know, frankly, you know, from a, uh, you know, I typically represent sell side and, and uh, you know, I, I, I hate earnouts uh, and, and um, I basically, you know, I basically tell the client that just don't expect to see this money, um, and, you know, for a host of reasons. Um, so it's just the cherry on top. And if, if it's, um, 
you know, if if you're willing to live with not receiving it, then then you know, then we're really willing to do it. Otherwise, it's probably not something you'll ever see. Um, I, I actually had a client, a deal that I was working on representing a seller there where there was a clawback too. So it was like doubly bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say I've seen an increase in stock consideration on the private yeah. side. Um, and that's, that's both a cash crunch, but it's also, um, it actually does in some ways help bridge the gap on an earnout, right? Because if, if you're giving stock consideration of the buyer, the buyer would have to tank their own stock to make that less valuable. So what's the, what's the incentive there? Um, so sometimes if it's not just cash, you can bridge the gap a little bit with, with a stock consideration package um, and say it's what's good for everybody is, you know, it's good for everybody. What's good for, what's good for you is good for me. Yeah. But, you know, I don't, I don't think that bridges the sort of control issue 